0: episode of the William Branham Historical Research podcast. I'm your host John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org, and with me I have my co-host, researcher, minister and friend Charles Paisley, the founder of christiangospelchurch.org. And today, we have with us our very special guest, Naomi Wright, the founder of BeEmboldened.com. And also, she's our co-host on the Free and Clear podcast. Charles, Naomi, we've had such a good reception to these new podcasts. And now that Naomi is recently famous, I thought I would take a moment and do a crossover episode and congratulate Naomi on... uh, taking the most difficult and most shocking subjects to the world.
1: So, you know, John, there is just on a serious note, there is something really beautiful and special and yet can be uncomfortable about having what was so awful in your childhood be what then gains attention for an issue that's so important. So it really is taking. I mean, what got the, so much attention on cultish? I know was the polygamy aspect of my upbringing, which was so awful, and yet that's what got people to pay attention to know about the mission that all of us care so much about, which is helping people in situations like this. So it, it's a really good thing, but there's something just kind of surreal about it at the same time. So. If polygamy made me famous, well, that was not my dad's intent.
2: <laughs>
0: well, it was definitely crazy interesting. I just heard the second half of it today, and oh, my gosh. It, I knew this existed in the message, right? Some of us knew. I think, Charles, you also knew. But uh, there's a vast majority of the people in the cult following of William Branham that have no idea that polygamy exists in the message.
2: Yeah, that that's so true, John, you know, and I'm I'm really glad we're going to spend some time on this topic today. You know, over the past few months, as we've heard more and more people leaving the message as things like this come to light. Um, you know, this this area of polygamy is another one of the dark secrets of the message. Uh, and it's a it's a terrible issue, like like others that no one in the message really wants to take ownership or responsibility that these things exist. You know, every everybody blames the other guy. It's the other guy right. up the streets idea. They did it, um, you know, but but the truth is, it all goes back to the teachings of William Branham. Polygamy started while William Branham was still alive. He endorsed it in his sermons. It was practiced in his church uh, and he did nothing to correct it. Uh, and, you know, when that that's really what we're going to get in and talk to in this ish, in this episode, John, is about uh, polygamy in the message. Uh, and so maybe I'll, I'll throw in a disclaimer real quick. This might not be an episode for kids. Some of the things we might say on here. So if you got kiddos in the car, maybe this is one you want to turn off.
0: I think it's not a good episode for kids for sure. And there's some historical information. There are things that my family knew about how the doctrine came to be, even though, you know, my family was not uh, not at all in favor of it, but we we realized why it became and how it became because there's some There's some history behind the sermon where Branham introduces this that has been somewhat covered up for decades. But before we get into that history, it might be good if we take a minute for those who aren't familiar with Naomi and let Naomi introduce herself and um, describe all of the wonderful things that she's got going on with uh, BeEmboldened.com and with us.
1: I was raised in a splinter group of the message. I didn't grow up with the knowledge that it was really a splinter group of the message. I, it felt so we were so isolated from everyone else that I didn't even really have much of an awareness that there were other message groups out there, which probably sounds crazy. Cause there are so many, but that's how kind of elite we were. It was like, nothing else was even going on. We were it. So my dad was the leader of that splinter group. He founded it, so to speak. And something that was a little bit Different for me in some ways was of course the polygamous aspect. My dad practiced polygamy as did some of the other male kind of sort of leaders in the group. It wasn't mandatory. People didn't have to, but they were able to, to, if they wanted. But all of this was going on while I was attending public school and my mom worked for the school in a pretty prominent role. And so I had a very duplicitous life and lived in quite a bit of fear and tension of always hiding the truth about what was going on in my home, what was going on in my family, what our beliefs were, and always performing to the best of my ability in school and anywhere else in public. So I didn't draw any negative attention to our family, positive only. So fast forward that to now, I can be a bit of a workaholic because old habits die hard <laughs> when you're raised in something like that. And I have funneled that energy into Be Emboldened um, over the past couple of years. So Be Emboldened launched about a year and a half ago. We've been a 501c3 for we just hit a year in the month of May. And we have a variety of services that we're offering already. But again, we're, we're babies, so we're growing growing. We offer one-on-one mentoring services to people who are suffering from not only cult abuse, but religious abuse in general. So it could be from a mainstream church where something unfortunate and harmful happened and somebody is seeking help and support. And we offer groups. We have three launching this fall, which I'm really excited about. Uh, two are brand new. So brand new content for people. We have a podcast um, called Reclamation, as well as co-hosting on the Free and Clear podcast, which is just a, a super fun aspect because I, am not, I'm not focused on William Brenham everywhere. And so it's nice to have a place to focus in on this aspect that connects to me. So personally, as right. well as blog, YouTube, you know, things like that, um, and different trainings and things coming, uh, in the future speaking and stuff. So we are really excited about where we're headed and just providing a hub where people know they can go for trusted research and trusted resources to get help as well as, Carefully prevent as many of these stories from happening
0: yeah and I first met Naomi um actually Charles I think you're the one that showed me her videos on YouTube which if you haven't seen them the Naomi story videos are really really well done and um long story short we connected and Naomi has been helping with support in many many areas um like she said not just in the William Branham message cult And we have the free and and clear podcast where we're trying to generalize um, the issues that are common among all cults um, through the support groups that we work with. But um, Charles, I'm interested to hear, um, you came from a different sect or different splinter group of The Message. I was in the main sect and Naomi came from yet another splinter group of The Message. So I'm interested from your side um, how you are familiar with the polygamous doctrine and how it was introduced, basically the history behind what William Branham said, why is it in the message, how did this thing come to be?
2: Sure. So so polygamy um, has been in the message since the 60s. And if if you actually have um, God's generals, so this is one of the, you know, the premier book so-called on the life of William Branham right this is actually one thing they get right in this book Um, if if, I'm just going to read from you from the book Roberts Lairdon here says on page 340 he says according to Branham since women introduced men to sex polygamy was brought about women had to be punished so men could have many wives but women only one husband and Robert Slayerton actually captures and encapsulates William Branham's polygamy teachings here in this book. And the, the sermons that that comes from is, is a set of sermons he preached in 1965 uh, entitled Marriage and Divorce. And, and in that sermon, um, I'm going to read a couple uh, – I'll just read a couple quotes from that sermon, John, uh, and then maybe talk about what, what that did when people heard it. So one of them he said is uh, – he said, now it's a covenant with nature. He sets another order by sex, the second covenant, one male, many females. One buck deer, a whole harem of does. Is that right? One bull, a whole herd of cattle, cows, one rooster, a yard full of hens. Is that right? One David after his own heart with five hundred wives, with a hundred children born to him in one year, of different women, a man after God's own heart. One Solomon with a thousand wives, but notice now, it wasn't so at the beginning. But now it's after the beginning. The woman has done this, and then she just becomes what she is now. See, that, that's one of uh, the, the quotes that gave rise to polygamy uh, in, in the messages. We know it. Uh, another one I'll just read real quick. It says: it If God could have give his son any better thing than a wife, he would have given it to him. But she's designed to be a sex act, and no animal is designed like that. No other creature on earth is designed like that. That's the reason you see polygamy, because of that. That's what brought it in. Now look, the final analysis, look, there is one Jesus Christ, is that right? One man, God Emmanuel, do you believe that? But the members of his wife are many, see, thousands of thousands, is that right? His wife, the bride, the church, do you understand now? So, you know, William Branham said those quotes, John, um, and, and from that, from that stem, polygamy as it, as it was brought forth in the message churches that we know,
0: and it gives you just a deep, warm feeling inside, right, Naomi? to to hear To hear how the women are treated in in the main sect. I mean, this is not even a splinter group. This is the main sect of the message. Believes this. Um, <clears throat> our families, you know, when this was preached, we sat there, and it was it was just a horrific thing. I think a lot of the people didn't even uh, some of it just, some of the people just glazed over. They didn't even realize this was being said, Charles.
2: Right. Right. You know, my grandparents were sitting there when he preached that sermon. Um, a lot of the, all the old, most all the old timers I knew sat there when he preached that sermon. My mom was sitting there, you know, when he preached that sermon, you know, on their lap. And you, you sit there and wonder how in the world could they sit there and listen to this stuff? And, you know, that's not even the, the worst things he said in there. I mean, he said some Horrendous, horrendous things in that sermon, um, that have led to all kinds of problems. And it, it's hard for me to understand why my family did not run screaming out of that building um, when, when he preached that sermon. Uh, but they didn't, um, and and you know we were ended up raised multiple more generations in the message. Come on, yeah. And you know, well, within I'll say too, within one week, within one week of William Branham preaching that sermon people began practicing polygamy uh, at the tabernacle it was taken up by multiple families there at the yeah. tabernacle and um you know i can share stories of the old timers telling of certain people coming around and starting to try and recruit into polygamy and not not of course the mainstream not everybody accepted it the majority rejected it right but there was yeah. enough there that the people who wanted polygamy got a hold of what they wanted and they started running with it
0: yeah, and it was widespread overseas in America. It's you know it's illegal. So, whenever these people took on the polygamous doctrine, they just simply went underground, and you can find them in the hills of Kentucky or Virginia. We actually recently posted one from, um, is that West Virginia? I think it was we found, and um, I'm just curious, Naomi, what was it? What was it like in your sect? Did you listen to the marriage and divorce sermon at all, or was this something that was? taught as, as he teaches it.
1: It's so interesting, John, to look back at these quotes because yes, marriage and divorce was a significant teaching in our group, but we weren't regularly told in my household. So this is specific within our household. My dad spoke about polygamy as a blessing more of old Testament style of, okay, we can grow the population. You know, we can raise more believers. He would talk about, and he would actually tear up about how he always wanted to have a big family. He wanted a lot of children, and this is a way for this to happen and how it was a blessing. And he never spoke of it in this way that it was just what women were used for. And that's all they were. Now he said a lot of horrible things about women, I don't want to leave that out. But it was this was more of it was supposed to be a a good thing that the women would also want. And that was one of the the kind of thermometer checks for the woman's heart. Is if you're right with God, ladies, you're going to embrace this. If you're not happy about it and you're bickering, there's dissension in the ranks, then the ladies have an issue in their heart. So it wasn't as it wasn't painted as directly ugly as this is. I mean, this state, these statements are so inflammatory right. that you asked if it makes me feel, you know, deep and warm. I'm like It makes me feel deep <laughs> and hot actually. But when I get past that and I, which is hard to do, but setting that emotional inflammatory response aside, what he says is so contradictory because yeah. he talks about how this is happening after the fall, right? This is the after, mm-hmm. not in the beginning, but then he talks about how women were designed as sex objects. Right. Well, but they were designed before the fall. Mm-hmm. So, again, in and of himself he's not making sense and this shouldn't be new to anyone who's following William Brenham. I mean, William Brenham yeah. is notorious for not being consistent and making sense, yeah. but I want to point it out just right there in it in and of itself. Like we couldn't have been designed how we were in the beginning and then suddenly been designed as sex acts but had that be different. Something else changed if that was the case. So again, even within yeah. his own argument it falls apart.
2: Yeah, yeah we- there- William Branham, you know that's a great observation about what he said. in In this particular sermon on marriage and divorce, one of the most unusual things that he said in this is that women were not part of God's original creation. Like God did not make man, woman in the beginning with man, and he goes on to say that woman was actually created by Satan. Um,
0: designed after, by Satan.
2: yes, designed by Satan mm-hmm. after. You know after Adam had already come into the world and he goes down a really unusual uh, line of reasoning in that sermon, which is part of the reason I wonder you know how people didn't run out of the building screaming you know when he yeah. when he preached it
0: yeah there's a little bit of backstory that my family knew behind that sermon I don't think even william Branham I don't think that he ever really intended for it to go where it went um, there were there are Very clear signs of mental health issues towards the later years of his life. And there may even be some minor hints at dementia. But he does have a lot of internal conflicts in this one particular sermon. I don't think it is dementia or mental health based on the backstory, which we'll get into. He was very angry when he preached this particular sermon and he was uncontrolled and when you mix mental health issues with anger and uncontrolled it goes all kinds of different directions what's really interesting is that in the same contradictory contradictory statement where he says that there's no greater gift to man than a wife and she's the lowest form of evil designed to be a sex act who's going to lure you into sex in that same contradictory statement is the root of several doctrines that were built on top of this from coast to coast that were um, also conflicting. I've, like I've mentioned before, I think to both of you, we, I grew up in churches from Arizona to South Carolina and everywhere in between. And I would, not just one church, but many of them, I would sit in a sermon and I would think, I really thought about what the pastor was saying. I really paid attention. I wanted to learn more. I actually wanted to help other people save them because this is the end of the world. Why would I not save those families, right? And <clears throat> these, these preachers would preach these sermons on how the woman is God's greatest gift to man. And when William Branham makes these very derogatory, very insulting statements, he's referring not to the christian women in not even christian but the cult women in the you know in the message cult he's saying literally this applies to everyone else and they build doctrines on top of that within those same exact churches they also take the other side of the contradiction in the same church and by the same preacher and they'll say the women is the weaker vessel because satan designed her for sex to lure men into sex And whenever you see a woman who's got a little bit of her ankle showing, if she's got even a slit in her skirt this big, she's trying to lure you into sex. So you watch brothers when you see a woman walk into this church. I've actually heard this. They call them scandal skirts. So the same pastor is actually contradicting his own theology because at its core, it's built on this very problematic conflicting theology.
2: It it's really just a, a a terrible thing that William Brennan put together you know with this whole thing and you know I know at our church John we we still held to the teaching that um woman a, a woman was a byproduct of man because that's actually a quote of William Brennan woman's a byproduct of man she wasn't uh created by God in the original she wasn't part of the original creation but she was just a byproduct of man and you know that has a uh, that has a bad impact on people, you know. Uh, when you really follow that through to its conclusion, and it ends up having bad repercussions on down the line. And I, you're you're right, John, too, about the fact that I don't think William Branham. This is my opinion. I don't think William Branham introduced polygamy on purpose. I think uh, I've heard the same kind of stories. William Branham was not in a right state of mind. He was angry when he preached that sermon over situations that were going on at the Branham Tabernacle uh, and and marriages, and and he I believe the same. I believe he introduced polygamy by accident. But yeah. the thing is, he failed to ever own up to it. He he knew and they knew that the week after the sermon, people went in and started practicing polygamy. That's a well-known fact that got back to him. And he didn't do anything ever to try and correct it, to try and walk back his statement or anything. He, he let it linger And then he died and it just kept carrying on after he died. There's just a, even to this day, there's a refusal by leaders in the message to just own up to the fact that people started doing this because of what William Branham said in that sermon.
0: Naomi, this comes back to something you and I talk about often is the narcissistic personality disorder of these cult leaders. They're not going to give in. They're not going to retract a statement and say, oops, I made a mistake.
1: Exactly. No, they can't do that. Right. Because then they look imperfect and they can't look imperfect and be God's mouthpiece. They can't be speaking directly from God and and make a mistake, at least not that overtly. Right. We do see where there are, you know, persona changes and things change, but you kind of hope that gets lost in the shuffle and in the mess of it all, but to come out directly and share a retraction. I mean, that would just be completely incongruent with the, the personality and the agenda. But something I wanted to ask you guys, so, because this is interesting for me, I don't know all of the history. I know what it's like to live it, but I don't (laughs) know all the history of it. And so Charles, you're saying that literally within a week of this being preached, men already knew the second, third, whatever woman that they wanted to become one with. They had already, and within a week, they fell in love. So, and they decided this is the other woman that I am destined to be with and provide for and provide for the children for and help raise them and that quick. And yet I'm sure they weren't <laughs> lusting before. Right. Because that's
2: simple. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, so one very one very prominent story that was passed down to us was um, actually by the uh, by a, a minister who who had preached and went to the Branham Tabernacle and. He passed down that the week after this happened, a certain other minister at the Brenham Tabernacle came and attempted to recruit them into this new polygamous group of thought uh, and actually um, began suggesting that this mother minister take another wife the week after. And uh, his wife happened to overhear what was going on. <laughs> the polygamous recruitment going on and she shut it down like immediately and and ran him out of the house. Um, so there's, there's stories like that, that have come down to us that this took off immediately after the sermon was preached. Yeah, Yeah, it did.
0: And I'm just surprised. I'm, I'm sitting here picturing the woman back then. I mean, if I were to picture me attempting this, my wife would be shaking her head. You will not do this. I, I can't even imagine. But if you look at the history of it, this wasn't new to the message. This wasn't new to William Branham. Um, William Branham's proto-J, uh, basically the most famous faith healer in the United States. He actually had a ministry far Bigger and more, more widespread than William Branham was John Alexander Dowie. And we've talked about him a few times uh, in Confidential Office as we're researching Charles, but we're actually planning to get into more of that in, our, in the rest of our podcast. But there are two key figures of the message that everybody who's in the message cult are familiar with that were in Dowie's sect. There was F.F. Bosworth, who was Dowie's um, band leader and in charge of quite a few things. His brother, B.B. Bosworth, was also, I think, maybe a treasurer. And Gordon Lindsay, who everybody also is familiar with, came from the Dowie sect. And Dowie's Zion cult, I think it was called the Christian Catholic Church, was um, just very widespread. He had grown... To a national even international presence before he died and like William Branham before he died he also started showing signs of severe mental health issues he started claiming that he was also the return of Elijah he was nicknamed all throughout the country as Elijah the third um, similar to what William Branham claimed he was You know, also the faith healing, everything that William Branham did in his faith healing revivals was basically a clone of what Dowie did. And he learned, Branham learned that through Bosworth because Bosworth, after Dowie died, Bosworth started his healing ministry and then he transferred and started teaching Branham and some of the others. Well, towards the end of Dowie's life, he's made a heck of a lot of money, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. He's claiming to be Elijah. He thinks he's he's showing signs of narcissistic personality disorder severely and he claims that he has predicted the date on which the world will end Um, it's interesting because there are also ties to william branham's end date in that alleged prophecy that failed but right about the same time he also introduced polygamy and he tried to Um, you know, he tried to, for himself, tried to take additional women and his wife did like my wife would do. You will not do this.
2: (laughs) Wasn't Dowie was planning seven wives, wasn't it? That was his plan. I think,
0: I think it was seven. I, I don't, I don't think it ever worked out, but what happened is when he died, this, you know, like William Branham and any other cult leader, any central figure, they are an authority on doctrine and scripture. Whatever they say goes, they could tell you that it is holy, divine by God to rob banks, and therefore let's go rob some banks. And these people will go do it because they're trained to believe that he is the divine authority. Well, at the end of his life, he introduced polygamy. And just like William Branham's message cult, there were a number of men who, who accepted it. And like today, you know, they went underground. So polygamy is actually widespread in what became, you know, Dowie's cult became a fundamental building block of the Pentecostal faith, the Pentecostal religion in America. So within Pentecostalism is this separate underground of polygamy It's illegal, and the main, the core sect of Pentecostalism denounces polygamy. Just like the core sect of the message denounces polygamy, but yet it exists, and it exists because the leader is the one who said, it's okay, let's do it, and I'm the divine authority on scripture. That's similar to what happened here, you know, with William Branham and and the way that he, um, the way that he... Developed this polygamy doctrine, in my opinion, by accident. Um, Charles, you and I have been researching, though. Recently, there's there also are some ties to the fundamentalist Mormons in the message, which which also tie to the polygamous doctrine.
2: Right, because you know, besides his connections to Alexander Dowie, you know, and and he, he William Branham went to Zion, Illinois. He preached in Alexander Dowie's church, like you said. He he was directly supported by key men from Alexander Dowie's uh, community and fellowship. They were key men in his organization. In addition to that, he also has some unusual connections to fundamental Mormonism. And, you know, it's something that we don't know a whole lot about other than some comments that William Branham's made to to let us know those, those conditions, uh, those connections exist. But there was a Mormon sect uh, that was based in Missouri. And they're called the Church of uh, Church of Christ with the Elijah message, right, John?
0: Mm, Elijah. Elijah must have been a polygamist cult framework, right? <laughs> yeah
2: and And William Branham talked about uh, being approached by someone from their church at one point um, who's trying to basically recruit him, you know the way he tells the story, he's trying to recruit him into his fundamentalist Mormon sect and and shares with him a, a prophecy that their mormon church had made about a particular william branham right and so that's that's another just an unusual connection of of william branham back to you know groups that have polygamy in their history and in their roots
0: i'm actually curious a bit naomi because so in the main sect you had william branham who wants to be the Elisha to Dowie's Elijah. He even says this on tape. Dowie died on one day, I was born the next. And he's saying this to the people in Zion. He is also referencing this alleged Mormon prophecy about him, which literally, if you think about it, he has created the message cult, the the authority on scripture and doctrine. He has made it by his statements an extension of Dowie's religious cult. But he has also made it an extension of the Mormon sect. In other words, they had a prophecy. I'm, I'm coming as the restorer for the Mormon sect. And the Mormons practice polygamy, um, Latter-day Saints. So uh, I'm, I'm especially curious, did your sect of the message mention any of this? The Dowie stuff, the Mormon stuff. Did you even have any similarities between the Mormons?
1: No, other than people always think I am one or I was one. So yeah. anytime someone hears polygamy, they think, they, Oh, were you Mormon? I'm like, well, first of all, that's unfair to the Mormons because LDS and FLDS are different. And LDS has not practice polygamy in a long time,
2: right.
1: but no, there wasn't anything within the group that I can recall that was connected to Mormonism. Again, it was so, we were so separated.
2: Yeah. And of course
1: this is common, right? Because each of your churches thought that you were the, the right one and the best one. And so we all have that, you know, we should right. all arm wrestle at some point. So none of us wins, but we all lost guys. <laughs> but that, that was such the focus that there wasn't really the, Oh, let's link up here. Or let's kind of collaborate here. or partner here. It was like, no, we're it. And if we stole something from someone else or we're borrowing from someone else, we're not even really going to talk about that because this yeah. is ours. Yeah. yeah.
2: I know what? one one Mormon thing that's in the message, John, I, I don't know if you know this or not, that is very, very, very Mormon is a certain phrase that we use in the message. Put it on your shelf. Oh, that, really? That is a Mormon phrase, John. Yeah, it is. And I and. know that. Yeah, and so so there, somewhere there is a Mormon influence into the message that we really just don't have documented very well. But it exists, yeah. and there are certain things in our beliefs which are direct imports from Mormonism.
0: Yeah, I've been told where that comes, but I don't have documentation to prove it, so I don't mention it. Usually I have to have somebody who's also a witness. I'm going off script here a bit because— I'm so, I'm just still so fascinated with all of this. It's, we did not have this in the, in the main sect of the message, but I knew it existed. And it's interesting because your sect, Naomi, was, it was from Ohio, right? That you were from Ohio or you had. I wasn't it, specifically,
1: it, that was the hub though of our sect. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so my wife, my wife was uh, in Ohio. She was not polygamous, but she had actually encountered your sect, which is Crazy interesting. And I've actually met other people who have encountered your sect from other states. So your dad evidently got around,
1: but <laughs> he did. I've, no pun intended, come... right?
0: <laughs> exactly. I've actually come to the conclusion that every sect within the message, even the main sect, every one of them is a splinter group because none of them are exactly what William Branham was when even up until the point he died, even if you take it back a few years whenever he was displaying the mental health issues, if you go back to like 1963 or before, there is not a message sect today that matches what William Branham was in his ministry, not one. So each one has became became a splinter group. Add to this all of the many things that William Branham said had to happen before he died. There were prophecies that were given a specific timeline. Things that, you know, before he died, the nation of Israel would be saved. In other words, converted to the message. They did not. All of these prophecies that were supposed to have been fulfilled before he died, they did not. So what happens within Almost every splinter group that I have examined so far of the message cult, as they splinter, they try to get their version of what they think was the original message before he died. They try to become purists like FLDS. They try to become the purists of the message, right? And then they realize that these prophecies cannot come to pass in the way that he said it Unless there is a central figure of our sect who is the authority on scripture, who is the voice of God, who is the one who is going to, you know, be the, uh, fulfill the scriptures of the angels or the cult leaders or the messengers or however they weave it in their mind. So every single splinter group develops this person who thinks that they are God's ultimate authority on scripture. Charles, I think you and I have talked in your sect. I think Jackson believed this or to some extent taught it. I'm curious, Naomi, if your dad raised himself up to that level.
1: I don't know. I did not have the experience that you just shared. And it's possible that it happened before I was born, that my dad had a period of time where he was trying to kind of figure out what is the purest? What is, what do I do with this? These things didn't happen. How do I, you know, what do I do with this information? It's very possible that happened. I know we spent a number of years studying the Bible and William Brenham's teachings, kind of living more hermit style, honestly, just kind of off the grid on his own. And that was where a lot of this quote unquote revelation and that he had came from the version of him that I know and remember was the version of him who believed he had received the special revelation. So he was the one who could properly interpret William Brenham's teachings in conjunction with scripture to then pass on to everyone else. So he was in that last prophet who was mm. required versus William Brenham having been the last prophet. My dad was the last prophet. So there weren't that kind of eliminated the issue of anything that was incomplete, anything that was inconsistent. It was just, oh, no, you don't have the understanding. I'm going to bring it to light for you. And then what I say goes.
0: That actually matches the transition that I see within these sex. They become that. And then if they live long enough, it's possible maybe your dad died before this happened. But if they live long enough, they you can't really take everything that William Branham said and make it all be fit your sect. There's just no way, because it's all contradictory and internal contradictions. So then they arise, they rise up to their own superior authority, some of them even claiming to be Jesus Christ. Charles, is that, is what Naomi described, what you see in the Jackson sect?
2: Right. So in, in our sect, so of course, William Branham preached so many contradictory things, right? One sermon he says the week of Daniel has seven years left. Another sermon he says three and a half. One sermon he says the woman of Revelation twelve is Israel. Another sermon he says the woman of Revelation twelve is the church. Right? Like he would preach these entirely contradictory, incompatible things. And so, in our part of the message, uh, we we formulated the belief that, uh, and I say we, Raymond Jackson formulated the belief that uh, there was a prophecy about. John the Baptist and the Elijah anointing that he would purposefully uh, be allowed of God to preach things incorrect on purpose. And that <laughs> these incorrect things he would preach on purpose would be used to separate the elect from the non-elect, right? Uh, and then uh, Raymond Jackson, of course, had the revelation and would be able to, to help show us by the Bible which statements were the correct Uh, statements which was the correct version of his ministry and teachings and which was the wrong right and so then we would we would look like at your sect john or or probably naomi's if we had encountered you and say well clearly you're believing what william branham said but you have believed the false statements so god purposefully allowed william branham to mislead you to protect us because we are the elite elect right and and one of the one thing too john you know kind of coming back to the polygamy subject One of the things that William Branham did that made this this polygamy thing blow up in the way it did is multiple times William Branham was asked. You know what are the seven thunders? you know, the revelation of the seventh seal. And multiple times, when William Branham was explaining what the Seven thunders was, he said that his sermon on marriage and divorce, the sermon where he preached these things, was one of the seven final mysteries, one of the seven thunders, this revelation that was contained in this. So he he actually multiple times held this up as the pinnacle sermon. The pinnacle revelation of his ministry right yeah. uh, a, at different times and it and it just it's bizarre, you know you look back it's crazy it's but somehow he did that, and people swallowed that hook line and sinker
0: i don't know that my grandfather ever said it publicly, I think he did actually, but um we believe that too we believe that this was <clears throat> i don't think we called it the thunders, but this was one of the Divine truths, or whatever word my grandfather used for this, um, the Christian identity doctrine, which he called serpent seed, that was one of the fundamental yeah, truths. he said
2: that was one of the thunders too. Yeah, yeah.
0: So we had. The, so how did how did your sect get around the verse that says God is not the author of confusion? Because it sounds like that whole doctrine was <laughs> God is. The author of confusion, and I, Raymond Jackson, know how to get around the confusion.
2: I I know. So I look back now, and I I cannot reconcile in my mind how that we believe this our entire life. But that for us was the glue that yeah. allowed us to believe the message because we were always kind of straightforward. Like, yeah, R- R- William Branham said all these things, and yeah, these are lies, and <laughs> and this is wrong, and that that's how I know so much of this stuff, John. We were pretty upfront about it. Like even. Even Jim Jones, right? Like we were up front about Jim Jones being in the message and stuff. Yeah. And uh, we, we would always come up with these, God did this on purpose to cause this particular problem on purpose in order to like Jim Jones. Okay. So I'm off topic a little bit. Like our, <laughs> our preacher told us that Jim Jones was a scarecrow and God put, you know, a scarecrow in the message to scare away the birds to protect the true seed. Right. Like, wow and we eat this stuff up but it makes it makes absolutely no sense once you're on the outside it's 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 lunacy right it's the, the most ridiculous stuff you ever heard but when you're on the inside and you've heard that your whole life growing up it just sounds wonderful i mean it sounds amazing it's it's great until you yeah. till you wake up and not only is it
1: lunacy right it's horrifying to say that about jim jones he murdered hundreds of children Yeah. I mean, this is horrifying. And to think, I mean, the theological mess that ensues. So we're saying that God or God's anointed, God's chosen, God's prophet, whatever, insert the blank of the title that you want can intentionally lie to lead seeming believers astray Yeah, so that they're not saved, even though they did believe so that just, you know, you can make it and you can make it and I can make it. And yeah. What is God's character? Yeah. And honestly, is that even a God anyone wants anything to do with? Like, if that is really who we believe God to be, why on earth would we even trust Him? Like, am I really saved? Or are you really saved? Yeah. You know, it just it all falls apart, and suddenly there is no, there's nothing we can count on anymore. And then I land out. I mean, what is true is just is truth even a thing? You know, it totally philosophically even unravels, yeah. and so it's a theological disaster. And it's a humanitarian disaster as well when we think about the harm that is being done even to children.
2: Right, right. and kind of put my preacher hat on, John. You know, <laughs> when the Apostle Paul even goes this whole line of reasoning that you can't use a lie to advance the truth and you can't make a lie compatible with the gospel and God cannot use a lie for anything. So, you know, the the whole premise that God could use misstatements, mistruths and mis you know things that are clearly false to advance the kingdom of God is is just so far, um, you know, beyond the realm of the gospel. But that is exactly what in my sect of the message we had done in order to hold everything together.
0: I'll put on the closest thing that I have to a preacher hat because I'm definitely not a preacher at all. <laughs> but um, this is very hard on people. Like like Naomi said, I suffered severe trauma leaving this cult. I actually suffered severe trauma leading up to the point at which I left. And the, I think I've mentioned this on our podcast, Naomi, I had a cousin who literally saved my life, talked me, talked me through living. And I asked him one day because he grew up in the message like me, I was still in the message. And he, um, you know, he's saving my life. And I, I had severe depression. And in the message sect, if you have depression or anything similar to this, people avoid you like the plague because you've got a demon. They don't understand that, no, there's it's like diabetes. You need medicine or something, you know. I, I've even read studies where sunlight helps depression, and had they just given me sunlight, maybe I, you know, who knows. But my cousin is helping me through this, and... I asked him one day, why don't you believe the prophet? And he said, John, I believe the cowboy religion. And I said, what's that? And he said, love God, love your neighbors that aren't trying to kill you, and be kind to animals. And at the time, I thought he's going to hell because that William Branham was not in that. And we were trained that we had to have Jesus Christ and William Branham's message to get into heaven. And the further I get away from this, it matches what Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment, you know, love your neighbor, uh, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. What we see, the point I'm, I'm leading up to Naomi, you talked about the character of God, Charles, you and I are experiencing it just a hint right now, but it's going to grow as our podcast continues. The message sect would actually, there are people within the message sect, not by and large, but there are several people that wish you to die. If you raise up against them, if you speak out against the prophet, even if you say what the prophet said, William Branham, I I, I should quote that, what quote the prophet said, if it contradicts their sect theology, they would rather you die and stop talking about anything that would, contradict their theology than to actually try to save you and persuade you into the right faith so that you could make it into heaven. It's a huge problem because we had, um, you probably had this too, Charles, we had this phrase called cannon fodder, which if you know, the history of this phrase, it's basically in the sport in the war, it's the people who went in, who you knew were going to die by the cannon, but it was necessary to advance your troops. They're worthless in the sake of the battle they're cannon fodder we had this phrase that referred to other christians they were cannon fodder they were the they were the christians who exist to for whatever purpose of whatever sect is talking about them they're christians who exist to die basically and so when you're a child you're raised in this mindset your image of god is completely different than the god of the bible you're you really want people to be hurt who don't believe what you believe, and my personality is the opposite of this. I'm very altruistic. I, I can't be like this, right? So when I would see people like this, it created this big internal conflict for me. Am I supposed to believe the God who hates people, or am I supposed to believe the God who loves people that I'm reading in my Bible? Which God is it?
2: <laughs> in our part of the message, we had such a messed up, uh uh, we, we had such a way of looking at things it was very bizarre you know i look back like our idea of the millennial kingdom right our preachers told us we'll basically rule over the earth and we'll kind of be like god's gestapo and we will go around you know to all of the people that are on earth and we'll enforce god's rule and it'll be our job to make sure that uh any people that are on earth, not living up to the rules are executed, right? Like we're, we're going to make sure the kids are taken out and stoned when they disobey their parents and stuff like that was, that was our, our view of, of the millennial kingdom. Like we, it's just an entirely different view than what I think is appropriate and really what you get from the Bible. Uh, when you, when you step back and read it with honest eyes.
0: So with that back, back to the subject that we started this podcast for, um, you know it is a different God it's it's you've got the God who loves you or the God who hates you which one God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son the same applies to this polygamy doctrine you have a spiritual leader in this case William Branham who claimed he's the divine authority on scripture and all these people believe him who comes to church very very angry makes some severely heretical mistakes in his sermon with no intent whatsoever to correct it. And if you understand the reasons why he's angry, it reminds me of the Jim Jones statement that you just made. You can say some bad things, some bad theology that leads to people dying. Well, in this case, he made some bad statements that led to polygamy, which led to a whole array of Problems. I mean, we're talking sex trafficking, grooming women for sex, all kinds of really, really nasty things because he was angry
2: polygamy just kind of spread, you know, throughout the message and and, in among his followers everywhere that the teaching went, you know, so we know about um, here in the United States, there's a group in Virginia, for example, that has been in the news multiple times, they've been involved with marriage to minors that they've that the police has even went in and raided them for violating bigamy laws. Um, There's different uh, news pieces where polygamists have come into the into the into the news in different ways so there's there's definitely polygamists in multiple different states around the united states practicing polygamy and uh, i know your grandfather john was one time interviewed right um in connection with polygamy to the message
0: yeah in fact this is a crazy story because this was back before my website became william branham historical research i i actually had a website believe it or not where i was trying to prove william branham was true and once I realized that's not possible, I, you know, I eventually shifted, but I had this website called seek the truth and this message sect in some part of Africa. I can't remember which one it was. They actually sent me the interview and it was really weird because this was near the point of transition where I, I knew William Brown was not a prophet and I was very open, very vocal about it. So here are these people in the message who realize that I'm not at all in favor of the message. And they send me this video of my grandmother, my grandfather, which is very damning. I mean, very, very damning. And I've I've often thought about why they did this. I think one of the reasons a lot of people, even in the message, especially the cult leaders, they realize that the work that I do with people like you and people that I'm working with, we research to the letter we try to make sure everything we put out is correct we don't always succeed if we find an error we will correct that error we will apologize and move on in the interest of furthering truth there are many many cult leaders who realize that if it's true i will say it and i will document it no matter what if it's in favor or against and i think this group realized that i knew that william branham taught polygamy I think at that point they probably knew that i knew why he taught polygamy why this marriage and divorce sermon because i think i had mentioned some of what we're about to say uh prior to this so they sent it to me i published it but these guys literally came from africa to the united states and confront confronted my grandfather um william branham's sons voice of god recordings the cult headquarters everybody why are you not preaching what William Branham said? And why are you against us when we're supporting what William Branham said in the doctrine of polygamy? This, this was a crazy, crazy time. And, um, you know, there, there there's so many examples like we've on my website. I think you can look, uh, what's the guy's name? Robert Gumbura. I think his name is, you can, I've got a whole research page on him. He had many, many wives. And when people who aren't familiar with polygamy and how it works. I think I'm going to stray from our script a little bit now to uh, bring Naomi into this conversation, because it's very important that people grasp this. I was raised and did not know much about polygamy other than multiple wives. And my only reference to this is like King David had multiple wives and David was this happy go lucky, wonderful figure in the Bible. And he had multiple wives. I don't think people grasp all of the, the negative that goes with that in today's world. It's not just the multiple wives, but the grooming of children to become the wives. In a world where this is illegal, living under the radar, I think it would be good, Nam, if you describe just a bit about what is polygamy. What, what is it, how is it different from what the average common perspective is?
1: Sure. And I'm glad this is coming up because I think there are people in our culture in American society, at least I'll stick to the United States for this, who would say, well, if a man wants to have more than one wife and the women are okay with it, what's the big deal? I'm going to put that elsewhere. I'm not going to put it on the shelf because it shouldn't stay there, but I think it's a separate conversation. So if anyone's listening and maybe that's the view they would hold, they're really unfamiliar with polygamy and what it really looks like and what we're talking about here, I would say let's have a separate conversation about it because it's a different conversation to have. What we're talking about is women who have been told that they have to, to achieve whatever it is spiritually they desire to achieve in the afterlife. So for example, if we're looking at FLDS, they actually needed a minimum of, I think it was three wives to reach their celestial kingdom. And mm-hmm. so there was actually pressure on the men as well. Like if a male really just wanted one because he had a handful, he couldn't stop at one. He had to have more than one. So it actually say there could be pressure even on the men, depending on what they're being taught about the afterlife. So we have people who are being coerced In a very stressful way, because we're talking about eternity, that's beyond forever, we're talking about never ending. The belief is this is going to affect way beyond me living in this body right here, right now. So that's the kind of pressure people are under and they're being told you have to meet these qualifications. You have to hit these, these criteria. So these are not people of their own free will. And they're being all their authentic selves because none of them are operating from a sense of authentic selves. They're all operating from a cult self. They've all been very heavily indoctrinated and influenced being told you have to do this. They probably honestly, if I asked any of the girls I grew up with, if they wanted to or not, I would have gotten two answers. I would have gotten a very secret, like, no, other than one specific girl who would have been very loud about it. And I hope she listens to this and she knows who I'm talking about, but, <laughs> and God bless her for it because she's a great role model in that way for the rest of us. But, or people would have been like, well, I don't know. Because we didn't even know if we would want something or not. It's just what we were supposed to do. So we're not talking about two women and a man saying this is what we're choosing to do. We're talking about a man and two women who are told this is what you have to do. That's a very different conversation. So that's why I want to separate it. And then you're absolutely right, John. We're also talking about young girls who are being taught this is what you're for. And this is, again, this is beyond what we saw, you know, even back in the fifties, forties, sixties, you know, until we started having, having more of a cultural revolution as time went on of women being told, well, you're supposed to get married and have kids. This is beyond that. This is what you said, Charles, in that quote about, no, you're a sex object. You are to procreate. That is your point. And you're not even special enough to procreate on your own with one man. He's going to have other women that he shares his bed with and maybe he has a rotation throughout the week. Maybe my dad traveled back and forth now in my life, that was a saving grace because he was so highly abusive that when he was with his other wives, he wasn't with us and I got to breathe. So in a way I'm thankful for it. Had he been with us all the time, I I have no idea how much worse, (laughs) how much more messed up I would be. But so I had breathers. We all had breathers because he traveled, but we're talking about feeling so insignificant, so devalued, so worthless that you're literally just a number in your own household and you have to conform and again this starts at childhood because it is harder to convince a 20 something year old woman to to get into this now it can be done just like women can be you know trained into sex trafficking and be abducted we have all kinds of horrific things that happen in the world but for example i remember and i've told this story elsewhere if people have heard it but i was about 7 8 years old when a man wanted to claim me for marriage when i was of age Now, generally speaking, that was 17 to 18 years old, really young, right? Yeah. Not illegal, but barely not illegal. And he started buying me gifts and would have me sit on his lap and would just give me hugs and be so sweet and affectionate. I'm a physical touch quality time person. He didn't touch me in any inappropriate way. It was his intentions that made it inappropriate now as I'm an adult, but otherwise there would have been nothing, you know, seemingly inappropriate. But I remember having such a fondness towards this man because he was so kind to me and he treated me so well and everyone treated me like crap. So he just stood out as this really nice guy. I didn't realize that he was actually trying to stay claim. And I, and I heard that directly Um, from my parents as I got a little bit older that that had been his intention. So I'm not inferring it. I know for a fact because they said so, but this is the kind of thing that is happening to young women is men are saying, oh, I want her when she gets older because of whose child she is, Mm -hmm. or I can tell she's going to be pretty or whatever it is. And We also run into the young men then and we saw this for sure again reflecting back to FLDS because they had such a public big blow up eventually so they're easy to refer to. Um, We have young men who they don't even have anyone to marry and then the older men are trying to scooch them out of the community because they want all the young women. Yeah. And so that becomes a problem. So now we have young men who don't have anyone to marry. And we've got older men who don't want to disciple the young men to grow up and be good men. They want to kick them out because now they're competition. So this whole thing gets really, really messy. And again, no one is taught that I have a choice in what I want this to look like for the rest of my life.
0: Yeah. I've, like I said, I've been to several different churches from coast to coast and it's interesting in uh, the way that you said that there are some smaller churches that have been to r- remember this is the elite children of God type cult church right the other Christians in, in the city are not Christians by their view they're the cannon fodder or whatever that particular sect call. some sects call them the serpent seed those are the Christians that are the serpent seed we're the good Christians and when you're in that elitist mindset and you're Training your children to be that elitist mindset. It doesn't just affect the boy, the girls. It affects the boys also because the boys then become elitists and they think there's pride in being elite and condemning of other people, but it creates this weird problem because what if there are not a lot of girls in the church that you're going to? I've actually been in churches where this was a problem and I have seen older boys, you know, at this point, they're men, you know, in their 20s, sometimes late 20s who are actually grooming small children. I don't, I don't think they ever became the wives or at least they did. I wasn't around when they did, but I watched it and it was just, I mean, to me, it's kind of disgusting, right? It's not what you would normally see, but I had been in larger churches where there was a bigger, much bigger pool of women Some of the churches are affiliated with other churches in other states and they have these camp meetings and, you know, children can go meet each other in the cult and they can, you know, find mates. But not every church was like that. Some of them were so isolationist, so secluded, that they literally had to groom the women with or without the polygamous doctrine just because of the heretical theology. And, Charles, we've actually not got to the... Um, to the reasons behind this accidental theology, but I think we've mentioned a few times in this episode, William Branham was pretty angry when he preached this, and the story behind it, um you and I have actually not talked about this a lot, but i'm I'm seeing in the responses that you're giving that i th- I think we're going to have the same exact testimony.
2: yes, I think so, John uh so there was. Divorces and remarriages going on uh in the Branham Tabernacle and particularly even among william Branham's own family yes. uh that that instigated him to even preach this sermon right this in in one aspect this whole thing was to justify um the divorce and remarriage of uh certain people who are still alive today, and maybe we shouldn't say their name uh <laughs> but uh to, to justify what some of William Branham's own family members were doing uh, in that time, uh, right. that is what caused this sermon to be preached to begin with.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what my grandfather told in private to my father and a few other people.
2: And what happened is, so after 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 William Branham preached the sermon, he had a private meeting with um, the preachers, and right. so the pastor of our te- our church along with other ministers at at our, at our church no doubt your grandfather was there william mm-hmm. brown had a private meeting and in that private meeting he explained the uh the things going on behind the scenes that caused him to preach the sermon. And of course those were then passed down to us along with all of other Bran- brother Brownham's private teachings, um, yeah. you know, among the core leadership here in Jeffersonville. Yeah. And it, it's something else, you know, and as, as you talk, you just, you realize all the damage that was caused by this. Cause you know, like Naomi, you're not the only um message polygamist that I've, I've had the opportunity to meet either. There's other people, you know, in our age group that I've met and, one common thing I, I've known from the ones I've known, which most of the ones I've known are from Africa, you know, it, polygamy is very destructive to their families, right? To grow up in that environment, the wives end up embittered against each other. Um, when As the husband get older, there end up fights over the inheritance and things of that nature, and, and it leaves the children and the families very broken up, very damaged, you know, as a result of these things. And it's, it's a, it's a terrible road to go down, you know, especially after you get, you know, a generation or two seeing the effects of what it brings and the church that I came from. So, you know, we actually, our pastor started um, attempting to normalize polygamy views the last number of years i was there and this is one of the things that made me very uncomfortable the last the last number of years he took a a prophecy from the book of isaiah and began to uh he and and he preached this and and the whole congregation accepted this that at a certain point in the future god was going to reinstitute polygamy on the earth right and so we we had we were we were living with the belief that there was a point in time in the future that polygamy was going to be reinstituted and would be an acceptable practice again. And, and, you know, as they do things like that, they're they're setting up for something to come down the road, you know, and when I think about that, and I think about the way that, you know, William Branham taught that, that this revelation of uh, marriage and divorce was one of the seven thunders, you know, it just, you see where it's going. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I've, I've got away from it. Thank goodness, you know, how bad it could have been for the family to stay in that environment.
0: Yeah, my grandfather was very close to what you just described. He he mentioned the situations. Um, <clears throat> now that we know some of the history behind what's going on behind the scenes, which um, ties directly to the Jim Jones aspect of this, Charles, you and I have discovered just this year, William Branham's ministry was imploding. And the shocker that will be coming soon, as it looks very much like Jim Jones single-handedly, well, combined with one other minister, saved William Branham's ministry, literally lifted him back up after everybody else had left him. He was suffering so many defeats, William Branham, and he was very, very hardcore fundamentalist against remarrying after divorce. And if you ask any message believer in any sect, they will all tell you this, William Branham, if you are married, it is until death do you part. You cannot get remarried. That's what William Branham said. But as you mentioned, people very close to William Branham, including his own family, there was a family member who he actually mentions on tape. He says that he got it annulled. That actually wasn't the truth. They actually got divorced. Um, William Branham was starting to see people within, under his own ranks who were defying his own fundamentalist doctrine and it was hurting his public image. And so he actually reversed course. He said, no, there's a doctrine of polygamy and it's in the Bible. This is actually what he was driving at with this marriage and divorce uh, sermon. He was saying that, because there was a doctrine of polygamy in the Bible, these people who are getting married, they happen to be men. These people who are getting remarried, they all happen to be men who were William Branham was defending. He said, it's okay for them, one man, many females. And he's saying basically that it doesn't matter. Uh, he, uh, there's one phrase where he specifically says it, he can, but she can't. He says it explicitly, just like that. And what he's trying to say, instead of introduce a polygamy doctrine, is that these people which are making me look like I can't even control my own crowd and my it's really hurting my public image, it's okay for these people to get remarried. And what he told my grandfather and I think a few of the men in private according to the way my grandfather told it, is that God sent him this new revelation on quote-unquote marriage and divorce, which is weird he flipped the words, it should be divorce and remarriage. Um, God sent him this as a message that these people are forgiven. And he lists the names. I actually know the names of the people he mentioned. These names have been forgiven because there's nothing to forgive. One man, many women. You know, it's horrific.
2: You're exactly right, John. That that's exactly how the story was has handed down to us at, at our church in Jeffersonville as well. And William Branham was actually preaching this sermon in an attempt to authorize remarriage after divorce, not to not to introduce polygamy, but the way he went about it was so, you know, he he was a the truth is, William Brown was a terrible preacher. <laughs> and, and instead yeah. of just, instead of, you know, appropriately, you know, scripturally presenting remarriage after divorce, he accidentally introduces polygamy, you know, and it's, yeah, uh, yeah it's awful. It's awful.
0: It, it, it goes back to, I mean, we're getting through this in our historical podcast, but, you know, when you tell a lie and when people find out, you have to tell another lie to cover up the first lie. And that lie has to be bigger because it has to cover the first one. And then the next one has to be bigger than that because it has to cover, it grows and it grows and it grows. The same thing happens with theology. If you have a theology that you yourself don't even believe and you don't care, so you introduce this other bad theology to cover up what you didn't believe in the first place. And then you introduce bad theology to cover up whatever it is, then you have to introduce more and more bad theology on top of it until what you end up with in no way, shape, or form even resembles Christianity. And I think, you know, there are some there are very clear signs that William Branham is introducing bad theology to cover up events in his ministry.
2: Right. No, as we As we kind of bring it down to the end, maybe we could give uh, Naomi opportunity to talk about resources and different things that's available to to women uh, that are coming out of these situations and maybe have some closing remarks on this topic for us.
1: Sure. So I think what I'm sitting here just feeling struck by is the destruction that someone can be comfortable with in exchange for securing their pride. I mean, this destroys lives and in mass number, when we're talking about multiple women per men, lots of kids, way more than a woman would typically be having on her own and all of these families being raised in this situation. And to know that William Brenham basically said, "Eh, well, so be it. They'll do what they'll do. I'm not going to retract my words. Like that is just talk about the character of a person and what kind of person do we want to put our trust in? What kind of person do we want to live our lives based on who do we want as role models? And so for anyone listening, you know, I would just say, please consider that. I mean, is this the character of someone that we actually want to be paying a lot of attention to? Yeah. Um, As far as closing remarks for resources, please reach out to us. Uh, there are, there are some things out there for women who have had these kinds of experiences like safe houses and things like that. We'd be happy to connect you. We are currently doing another overhaul on our website. We just continue to, as we continue to grow. And so we do have a resource page coming. So you wouldn't even have to reach out directly. You'll be able to find different you know other options that are out there. So again, we're hoping to just be a hub where people know they can go to to get started and then they can link off from there to other organizations that are doing great work. I would say in regards to knowledge of polygamous experiences specifically, there isn't a whole lot out there. So it's not right. that there's nothing, but there isn't a whole lot because like you guys have said, groups have done a really good job trying to keep it quiet, keep it under the radar. And so because of that, I don't think our culture realizes how big of a problem it might be. And so we're not equipped to serve it as well as I would like to see us equipped to serve it. And so that is something the emboldened is striving towards.
0: Well, this has been a heavy, heavy subject. Um, I don't want to end feeling down because of what somebody else did. I don't want them to rob our happiness. Um, I can assure both of you that as we continue with our po- podcast, we're going to get subjects that are even heavier than this. And I always try to make it fun, even though the subject matter is just really, really creepy. You know, in, in this case, it's just creepy. Why, why would anyone allow this? And yet people do. But we're... You know, we're going to try to tackle the hard subjects and we're going to try to tackle the fun subjects and everything in between. So if you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org, christiangospelchurch.org, and beemboldened.com. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the healing revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examine of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Join us again next week, and we've got a great episode coming.